0: You're listening to The Interview, in-depth retailer interviews with inspirational people. Hosted by Martin Popplewell, brought to you by The Retail Exchange, inspiring retail performance.
1: Hello, I'm Martin Popplewell, and welcome to the latest in the interview series from The Retail Exchange podcast. Today, we're in conversation with Hotel Chocolat CEO and co-founder Angus Thirlwell. They say life is like a box of chocolates, and that has never felt truer. A year that started full of promise has turned out, well, a little differently than we'd hoped, to put it mildly. That's certainly the case for retailers. For many in retail, profits have melted in 2020 as a result of the pandemic. But at Hotel Chocolat, they remain positive about the future with gifting and online sales, protecting it from the worst of the impact on physical retail. Listeners with a sweet tooth may already be familiar with the Hotel Chocolat brand. It started in 1993 and has charmed UK shoppers with its meticulously produced chocolate. As the business prepares for one of its busiest times of year and what promises to be a very different COVID Christmas, it's also back on our TV screens this autumn, providing behind the scenes access into the running of the UK's biggest chocolate maker. To tell us more about the brand's story, the growing importance of online sales and to talk retail Darwinism, I'm delighted to welcome Angus. Angus, thank you for joining us today. For people who are not familiar with the brand, can you just give us a, a brief outline, a potted history of how you came about and that journey?
0: Well, the, the origins of
1: de Chocolat really start with um, my, my partnership
0: with uh, Peter Harris, who's still my business partner, like 30 years later. We started as a a B2B uh, chocolate business and then the real exciting bit was creating a um, a very early online uh, model which was um, all about fast delivered chocolate gifts which fitted through a letterbox, uh, came with a message card and um, were in our view way better than um, sending somebody a bouquet of flowers. This was in 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 the late 1990s and we we got that sort of working to a to a, a certain degree, and then uh, the, the next instalment of the business evolution was a subscription element, and this was in in, in very early two thousands, where we uh, created a unique selection of chocolates every month, sent them out to the members of what we called our chocolate tasting club. And asked our members to taste them and, and rate them and score them and let us know the results, which we then published inside this this sort of community, uh, and that provided very very good growth for us for for a number of years, and you know is still
1: um, an intrinsic
0: part of the business.
1: In many ways, you were ahead of the curve in that respect, with subscription and community-based models actually now commonplace. What was the turning point that saw the business become what we recognise as Hotel Chocolat today?
0: The next big turning point was really realising that although we had a, uh, you know, a couple of good um, business models, we didn't have an overarching strong brand name. Uh, and out of that Kind of navel gazing and, and um, you know, sort of deep thinking came. Eventually, the brand name Hotel Chocolat, and the the intent behind that was that Chocolat is definitively the best way of describing you know chocolate. Chocolate is a more kind of Anglo-Saxon sounding snap, um, whereas Chocolat is the is the is the melt, the seductive melt. And I'd lived in France for a, you know a few years when I was a uh, you know young guy, and I'd, I'd heard French people say chocolat, particularly French women. And it just was there as like that's, that's the way to you know to describe this stuff. And then the hotel element was intended to bring a sense of escapism to the whole proposition. Um, you know, a hotel is a place of refuge. it's you know, things go on in a hotel, there's a bit of naughtiness in there. And putting the two together uh, created a, you know, a, we, we thought a, a promising brand name. That also enabled us to create a physical space that would um, embody Haute Chocolat. And uh, we, we, we opened our first location in um, the unlikely Watford.
1: Why Watford?
0: Because it is just a slice of, of British shopping. We didn't want it to be too exclusive and we didn't want it to be too local to us in case people only shopped there, you know, because they, you know, felt sorry for us. So we wanted to uh you know discreetly get it going, find out if we could make that model work. And and then when we could, it became a a proper multi-channel uh proposition, uh spearheaded by by a brand that sort of promised something. And you know, we had a very clear set of values that drove the brand, and um, that was the you know mid mid 2000s. So we were probably about sort of 2007, 2008 here. And the final bit in the jigsaw was buying a, a an old cacao farm uh, in the Caribbean to get into um, finding everything we could about the the, the magical uh, cacao bean which would then give us the best chance of of making some of the best chocolate in the world.
1: That kind of investment and vision clearly evidences your commitment to quality and detail, a key piece of the puzzle, if you will.
0: That meant we had, you know, an amazing train set to sort of to play with, with all those elements. And the last, uh, you know, 10, 10, 15 years since then have just been the most amazing adventure. So, you know, it's it's, it's still... There's still a long, long way to go with 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 this uh, this particular train
1: set. The last few words make me think that actually that's not the end of the story. That's not the destination, and I realise that you won't want to be giving all your trade secrets away. But where what's what's the next chapter of the journey? The next
0: well, there's there's several uh, next chapters to play, and and you know we're really we, we think we're probably on chapter three out of ten chapters that we want to. Uh, work on in the business. When I say we, it's 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 me and and um, piece of my business partner and uh, the rest of our close um, leadership team. So you know that gives you an impression of how far you know we we think we've we, we've got to go and how little actually we've already done. The the exciting things we've got in the frame at the moment are um, international uh, exposure of the Hosel Chocolat brand. We have brought it into Japan. And America, and it's it's you know got appeal. It seems to resonate with the consumers there, and so we're going to have a very exciting few years building building the models up in in different ways in those two different territories, and and also the other dimension is the um, is, is the fast digital growth that uh, you know we've seen in the last few months, which has really turbocharged our, our, our ambitions there um and the the final bit is really the velvetizer, the in-home hot chocolate making machine that we've we've um we, we've sort of uh, brought to the market, and that's um that that's another strand of of, of the you know the future chapters.
1: Hotel Chocolat is back on our TV screens in the UK this autumn for the second series that goes behind the scenes of the business. How much of a decision was that the first time round to agree them to allow them in? Because there's always a risk that you let them in and then you're not actually happy with what they say and how they present you. Was it an easy decision? And can you take us through the the thought process?
0: Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of angst about allowing a a documentary crew to... Have a pretty unfettered access, roaming all over Hotašoklar, and in the end, we thought, look, what's going to happen is we're, we're showcasing our culture, we're showcasing what makes Hôtel Chocolat tick. We know we've got a good culture, and if we if we um, don't if we resist over controlling it, then that culture is going to come out and we're going to show the, the energy, the fun, the you know, really lovely people that are drawn to the brand values of Herta Chocolat. But we do need some control. Otherwise, it may be that um, you know, we, don't, we don't show enough of the most exciting, uh, if you like, developments and, and you know, jeopardies that are going on. Because you know, to make a documentary work, it's got to have an exciting plot. So, so we we um, ended up after quite a lot of negotiation, and this is primarily with the BBC Studios crew who um, uh, created the content, which is then broadcast on Channel Five. So Channel Five gave a very broad remit, and then BBC Studios had to take that and and, and make it work in negotiation with with, with us. We, we worked a a, a plan out and um, we, we carried out uh, series one which we were very pleased with and, and it, it had very, very good viewer figures of um, a million and a half people viewing it and it was broadcast on three occasions as well. So it's we, we we could see the effect when it was broadcast, our sales went up immediately and stayed up for a while. And then when it was rebroadcast, exactly the same thing happened again. Um, so when Channel 5 and BBC Studios approached us to do um, Series 2, um, there was a lot less angst and hand-wringing inside the business. We, we thought, well, yeah, you know, have we got enough good content to make this a genuinely, um, you know, rich and entertaining three episodes? Or are we going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel and it's going to, you know, diminish our brand and we, we looked into it and, and, you know, basically we realized that, yeah, we've got enough to make five episodes, never mind three. So let's get on with it. And the, um, the camera crew came to New York um, with, 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 with us and lived the experience of, of you know, trying to, trying to create a new brand there. Um, and then um, followed the, the journey of, of sort of new creations like our Velvetizer, our you know chocolate creams, which are vodka, chocolate, and cream bottled, all, all that. And, and it's I, I think it's even better than than the first series. A lot of humour in it, a lot of adventure, and a lot of you know chocolate pouring out of taps and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's great fun.
1: This year been like no other. I won't sort of go into all the, the lazy cliches. Uh, how has it affected you and what have been the major challenges for you in 2020 with COVID-19?
0: Well, we, it started with the probably the worst um, you know perfect storm of, of probably any British retailer because of our particular specialisation in Easter. It's, for us, it's the second biggest event. We make Hundreds of thousands of amazing chocolate Easter eggs, and normally, what we do in in, in the you know three weeks before Easter is we get all our, our our eggs, which have been made in our factory in 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 Cambridgeshire, shipped out to the 125 locations all the way over the UK, from Inverness down to to Plymouth, and get set for a, a an onslaught of of chocolate shoppers. What actually happened was we, we had all the stock delivered and then we had to lock all the doors and revert to trying to fulfil all the demand through purely online. But also the other twist was that um, in order to work safely in our distribution centre, we we had to uh, cut the, the, the speed and the output down to a third of the previous levels.
1: That must have been hugely challenging.
0: So we were looking at a a five hundred percent increase in demand with only thirty percent of the previous um, bandwidth that we had before um, and all the all the Easter stock locked in one hundred and twenty five mini warehouses so what we did is we had the most amazing um, response culturally um, and and professionally to that we we faced into the challenge we our, our retail teams mobilized our um, Supply chain team connected with them. we We got the majority of that stock back into our central location. we We worked out a way that we could increase the the um, the muscle of our online um, operation by um, pre-preparing um, ready-made um, if like bundles or collections, which meant that instead of picking um, four or five individual items to make a a, a customer order, we would, in a way, make the choice for the customer in in a in a by using our chocolate factory um, production lines, and that meant that our um, warehouse fulfillment team were were picking one item instead of four or five at a time, which meant that we could uh, logarithmically you know get back to very very strong um, you know, shipping levels so all in all. We managed to, uh, you know, save Easter for for you know many households up and down the country, but also importantly for our business, and you know that was an amazing, uh, galvanising effect that showed what we were capable of and 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 created a lot of belief in 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 terms of our capability, but also vindicated our purpose. We had so many lovely messages from customers saying, you know, what what it meant to them and and how they were sending. Uh, you know, our chocolates to to people they couldn't visit but wanted to uh, to send something nice to, and 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 how we we were performing a role of maintaining morale in a very very testing time for for countries all over the world, but also um, connecting humans at a distance, and and that combination of of, of having our purpose strengthened, but also being uh, I, I suppose having our abilities reaffirmed was an amazing cocktail of, of confidence that has driven us forward for the last six months. And now we really feel that we're on a, 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 a more accelerated trajectory of ambition and, um, and basically excitement in the, in the short term now. And was excess surplus an issue for you? Um, we, we, we did have some, um, more, than, more than usual, as you can imagine, it was a you know, bit, bit of friction, but we also wanted to support the, um, the National Health Service and, and, and the emergency um, uh, workers all over the, uh, all over the UK. So we brought them officially into the Hotel Chocolat family by giving all, all the people who had the, the blue light card um, the same um, staff deal as we all get, which is 50% off. And um, we, we, we publicized that within, within that community and ended up shipping um, just under 100,000 um, parcels into frontline workers and, and um, support workers all over uh, that network. And, and that made us feel great, but also um, helped make sure that our chocolate got into, into worthwhile hands to perform that purpose of raising morale and making people you know, connected and feel great. In a very testing time,
1: that must also have been satisfying, rather than seeing your chocolate go to waste. And clearly, as you said, a time when it felt important to put people before profit.
0: All in all, we we you know managed to to put the, any surplus inventory we had into into very effective use. It, it did mean that our profits took a complete hammering, but we're we're not really bothered about that. That's just, you know it's it's been a year like no other. Um, what would have made us really sad is if we ended up with a load of chocolate you know, being, being, being chucked away or going into landfill, which you know, is not going to happen on our watch and didn't happen. And again, that was another facet of making us um, you know, feel, feel positive about a very, very challenging
1: uh, backdrop. You once famously withdrew from a supermarket supply deal because you didn't want to associate the brand with, I think, what you perhaps consider the sort of the blandness of of, of supermarket aisles. Is that something which, because of COVID nineteen, you might look back on and review uh, and reassess? Um, no, I, I, I don't. I don't think we will. Um,
0: I mean, fundamentally, we're you know we're we're very clear that there's. There's a, a confectionery market, and and there's you know there's there's a vision for our brand, and and the two things don't sit together very well. Uh, so the type of thing that you see in a supermarket is um, broadly FMCG brands who um, you know basically don't mind that their chocolate is commoditized. They're, they you know they, they've they've made a model and and they're sacrificing um, brand feel for, for scale. Most of the chocolate and, and confectionery in the world is sold through supermarkets. We've decided not to do that and we have to bear the consequences of, of it, which is, you know, we can't access easy scale. We have to build our own uh, relationships one by one with, with, with our own direct customers who are individuals and households. Um, but that's meant that we we you know we're very resilient we were able to talk to our customers and we have we enjoy you know great loyalty and and the, but the, the the reason we, we don't want our, our chocolate to be in supermarkets is not a kind of elitist or snobby reason it's it's because we we're, we're promising escapism which goes back to the you know the reason for the brand and escapism starts with a special feeling about uh, about the chocolate um, before you, you, you know, you even pop it into your mouth, and we're very, you know, we, we know that there's there's value to our customers in that in that anticipation and, and in the way that the journey begins, and we don't want we don't want to, you know, not deliver that. So we're, it's it's a particular course that we've decided, and we're not we're not
1: um, we're not changing that because of a short term um, kind of shock to the system. Isn't it also the reality that the supermarkets want a huge slice of your profits? Uh, and if people uh, will still buy from you, why hand over a whole load of your profits to the supermarkets?
0: Uh, well, yes, but they, they do deliver something pretty good for that. I mean, they, they deliver, you know, basically they'll, they'll you know, receive it in, they'll stock it, they'll um, introduce your brand to their customers, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's it's... It's, um, it's a retailing profit, which is, which is fair enough, but it's just not for us, that's all. And, you know, we're, 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 we have to stay true to our,
1: our brand and our business model. The impact of COVID-19 on many retailers has been one of really developing their online offering. And obviously, from what you've said already, that has been the case. How do you see the future of the high street in terms of bricks and mortar? I mean, you still planning to open up more stores, bricks and mortar stores in the UK, or is that on pause for the foreseeable?
0: We, we obviously you know, looked at our um, physical retail model very carefully um, over this period, and we've come up with a conclusion that we still love it. And um, the reason for that is that when we when we opened our first location in Watford, we already had an online business, and we we had to be very clear about what what a physical space was going to add in addition to what we already had, and and the answer um, is that particularly for our type of um, you know of, of, of product, impulse and immediate gratification is clearly a big a big part of of, of the appeal of it. Uh, you know, you're you're just walking down a street and you see Hot Chocolat and you weren't intending to feel like eating some chocolate right now, but you just, you can't resist it. And you're, you know, you're in there and you're looking at a wall of chocolate and picking something out before you know what's happened and, and you feel great about it. Or popping in to get a, you know, a, a Hot Chocolat or, a, you know, one of our really nice coffees. Or, or just, you know, you want to, you're not sure what type of gift you want to buy for somebody and it's required that very evening, and you wanna pick it very carefully and get some expert advice from, you know, from well-trained um, experts and specialists in that, in that area, which is, which is us and our team. So um, the, the, the physical retail really does perform a function for us, and it also is very powerful at welcoming in large numbers of new customers into the brand. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a very uh, cost-effective way, when you when you compare it to say, you know, advertising on, you know, giving the money to Mark Zuckerberg for Facebook advertising or something. So, so the way we look at it is is in a v- true multi-channel way, and it's about customer acquisition, it's about retention, loyalty, it's about building excitement, and you know,
1: it, it works really well. The issue of how rates are structured is a particularly thorny one, something that 's come under the microscope again, given the pressure that physical retailers have been facing as a result of limited trading during the pandemic, will this be the catalyst for needed real change
0: in the uk there 's no doubt that the relationship between landlords and and and, and brands has been quite lopsided um, for a long long time and you know, it's quite unusual to have contracts in any sphere of life where there's no force majeure uh, element, and where there's upward only rent reviews, and where you know you might have to sign up to very long leases in order to get access to um, to rent a property. So there's some, in, in my opinion, some very long overdue rebalancing that's necessary there, and and the, the reason I'm I'm confident that. You know, my my view is balanced on this. Is that we're we're also operating in another country, Japan, where um, new shopping malls are opening um, at the moment, even in even in a pandemic, and where the, and the reason for that is that the 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 landlords um, more often uh, have a partnership approach with their with their brands, and they like to receive their rent as a um, a percentage of the sales that that brand can generate in, in, in partnership uh, with, with the landlord space. And so that means that in good times, uh, you know, they, they share in, in a success and in a time like now, the rent payable um, is, 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 is lower. And in, in a time when um, locations have to physically close, the rent is zero. And, and so that means that there's a more enlightened and balanced approach, which ultimately leads to more cooperative working, and and you know shared and aligned interests in in, in, in a stakeholder group is is obviously the best way
1: to work. And how likely is that to affect your approach to UK store openings in the months to come?
0: Our plan in the UK is to is to um, pause new openings while. The um, the dust settles in, in the property scene, and we will then come back with uh, with new enthusiasm, uh, and, and hopefully there'll 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 be some you know some kind of improved backdrop to the way things way way things have to happen.
1: You've already touched on some of the ways in which you had to think differently during lockdown. Did any of these new ways of working surprise you or affect your view in terms of where you take the brand and the company next? Yes, very much.
0: We, um, I mean, what we've really seen in, in, in you know, developed markets all over the world is um, probably five years of um, you know, retail Darwinism, compressed into five months everything that has happened was going to happen anyway, but just not so quickly and um, all the plans that we we had to uh, continue to develop hotel hotelchocola were in place it's just that we were anticipating we would um, uh, execute them over a, a slightly longer period what we've seen is we have the opportunity and 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 really the the pressure and the imperative need to do them faster which we're going about doing and done the right way that's not a panicky move at all it's it's actually what we've been waiting for in many respects um, so it it's a bit like choosing to surf a wave or be you know tumbled over by it and unceremoniously chucked onto beach so we're we're choosing to surf it and it's 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 you know it's terrifying sometimes it's exhilarating it needs a different faster management approach more acceptance of risk um, quicker decisions um, and it it's it's, a, it's as a as an entrepreneur obviously you know that's the way that entrepreneurs like to work anyway and what what I'm really pleased about is that. The, the, the wider team that we've got in the business have also really embraced that and can, can see the benefits and are enjoying working collegiately but just faster and it's, it's like a well-trained team suddenly making it through to you know the world cup final and realizing that you know everything you train trained for you can do and you're, you're really good at it.
1: How has staff morale been affected in recent months, and what have you done to try and keep spirits and energy levels high?
0: We, well, we just carried out our a, a big engagement survey where we, um, once a year, ask our teams through a, a you know a totally private and confidential questionnaire uh, about the business in in you know in a series of um, you know structured questions. We've had that back, and, and we've actually got the best engagement scores that we've ever had. And that would put us into one of the best 100 companies to work for in the UK. So we're really proud of that and that we've been able to achieve it in these these circumstances. And I, th- I think I think the way that this has happened is that the realisation of supporting teams at a distance has meant that we've completely upped the communications. We've been using a lot of video. We've been much more open about the the risks and, and how we're how we're mitigating them, how we're how we're you know, what we're doing. And and so we shared a lot more information and that has um had the effect not only of making people feel reassured, but also brought the the what we call the Hotoschokla family closer together. Um so so yes, I mean basically people have, have felt uh anxious in the face of the relentless media bombardment of of you know terrible depressing news just before you go to bed and um what we've tried to do is to roll that back a bit with a little bit of you know realistic optimism but there's no doubt that you know a lot of people are kind of you know morally and um uh you know spiritually um you know under pressure so it's going to We're going to keep this method of communication going and we're we're also talking on a a mental health level to people, providing more support. But it's it's, it's a trying time for everybody, for sure.
1: We look towards the reality of a COVID Christmas. It's a really important time for many retailers. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about what lies ahead? Um, We're optimistic.
0: We're in the best shape we've ever been in terms of preparedness. When we, you know, faced down the potentially existential challenge of having Easter cancelled, we had we had days to react. We, we've we've had six months to prepare for um, you know UK Christmas peak, and unsurprisingly, you know, with the momentum that we've generated, we believe we've done a great job of it. Um, and whatever shape Christmas takes, we you know we we are agile and we can adapt. It's gonna be a bit of a bucking bronco to ride it for sure, but we, we're up for it, morale is good, we've made good plans, we, we've doubled our um, distribution space. So we, we've you know, invested in uh, you know, more team, more, more, more equipment, more space, and the, the planning that we put in is, is the best by far that we've ever done. Can
1: you just give us a bit of an insight into that planning?
0: Um, Yes, I mean, we've modelled what happens if it's a pure online Christmas for us. Can we handle it? And the answer, you know, had to be yes, Uh, and it is. Uh, If it's, uh, you know, an impaired physical retail Christmas and online's, you know, 200 to 300% up, we can handle it. Um, And if it's, uh, you know surprisingly normal Christmas and online, you know, is only, you know, 200% up, we can handle that as well. So all the scenarios have been modelled and um, we've also uh, overlaid onto that a very ambitious growth plan in Japan where we're going to be opening, on average, a new location every week between now and the end of January. so there's, there's, there's a lot going on, but, you know, we, we're, we're ready for it and this is, this is what we do.
1: Angus Thurwell, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for your time. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at the retailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag retailexchange. Thanks for listening.